Hello, everybody. It's Sunday School Bonanza, a This Week in Mormons production. You know what we're doing here? Gospel Doctrine Lessons. We're going to talk to you for you know a few minutes right now and make your world a better place. But you know who's going to help me do that? You know who's going to help me do that? The man from Oklahoma. The man himself celebrated in the three counties of the Oklahoma panhandle. Bill Doolittle's here. I'm blushing right now. You should be. Yeah. It's uh, it's a pleasure to represent Oklahoma and uh, and to be on here with you, Jeff. It's great. It's you know I haven't seen you for a few weeks since the last time we got together, and it's I been hope a while. so much has changed for you. Uh, my hair's gotten longer. I know it looks crazy it's about that. You're a wild man. So, folks, if you remember last week on Lesson Seven, we talked about the Abrahamic Covenant, and uh, we're going to build upon that today. Not the covenant itself, but we're going to talk a little bit more about Abraham. And this lesson, though, is called Lesson Eight: Living Righteously in a Wicked World. Honestly, I feel like this is one of those kind of, uh, not I don't want to call it a filler lesson, but a buffer lesson. One where they said, hey, we need to get another lesson in here. Let's see mm-hmm. what we can stretch out of Abraham's dividing of his land between him and Lot and see what we can learn from that and yeah. from, you know, Lot. And plenty of terrible things happen with Lot, the worst of which they don't even mention in the lesson. Thank, so thank goodness. Because <laughs> that's, that's a story that just, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the rating is on your podcast, but... Uh, but it would be PG thirteen. Okay, so then well, we probably a, shouldn't talk about it. This is international production. It's we'll call it twelve A. Twelve A. This is for you, the Brits. Twelve A. This is going to be about you know fifteen A. I think if you uh, include the story about Lot's daughters, <laughs> which is like totally den- denounced in the Institute Manual. <laughs> there's there's like scorched earth. They're like there's no good reason for doing this. As you know, just to describe, they general Sherman them is what you're saying. They general Sherman yeah. them. They say, no, this is, there is no good reason why you would have done that. Even if you thought your father was the only man left on the earth. For those who don't know, just look it up. Yeah. Just, yeah, just look it up. But you know, don't, don't look it up in public or people are going to wonder about you. <laughs> it's like if you read songs of Solomon on the subway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, so, uh, the point is here, Abraham of course has bounced around a little bit, uh, during his day. And for some brief history, I'm trying to remember everything about Abraham. So, you know, he'd been living in Egypt because of the famine uh, in the land of Canaan. And now he's going to return to Canaan and he settles in Hebron, actually, with with his nephew Lot. And uh, they make a point about this, about, you know, what are they going to do? They're, they see the land and the, the lesson asks us, you know, why could they not live together? Why could they not live together? Because they were both so rich it's because there was just not enough land i guess to contain them so they said all right well i'll take this you take that we split up you know i go left you go right the difference was though abraham kept his land and and lived his his good life and hung out did his thing lot on the other hand though you know where did lot choose to live he chose to live in the plains right by sodom so basically in the environs of sodom yeah sodom the famed wicked city of course which we'll get into a little bit more um, but there's some interesting points here that initially he lived in the plains and he didn't choose this because he was, um, you know, smitten by Sodom or anything like that. It was more because apparently the land was very, just, just very fertile, well watered, good and an, an agrarian subsistence farming culture. You want to have the good watered land. And so that's understandable. So he took that, but then as time went on, what do we see that Lot starts doing? At first it's outside Sodom, but then he pitches his tent towards Sodom. And then later he lived in Sodom itself. Yep. So he slowly shifted in there. So it's, it's, I think it's an obvious question. But, um, like, you know, what do we do that's the same thing, basically? We know that Sodom's so wicked, what do we do? Because do we always just rush headlong straight into Sodom 
when some no we were like you no. know what i'm gonna do i just want to be able to see it i'm yeah. just gonna hang out up here on the hill and do my thing just want to be able to see it. but then you start looking at it and it looks pretty good and you're like maybe it's not so bad down there maybe i'll just go i'll go check it out let's let's go to town this weekend we'll just see what it's like yeah we're not going to talk to a real estate agent but we're just going to look around <laughs> and then it just keeps going and so of course that that's you know analogous to Anything that can go on in our lives, whatever temptations we have, whatever things we do, that's that's the way Satan wants to get us. He, he does not expect us to do a complete 180. He expects us to just little by little just kind of turn our tents towards these things. And next thing we know, we want to be right there in the epicenter of all of it. And so that's what basically what happened uh, with Lot. And I, I like there's a, good co- there's a good contrast here with the people of King Benjamin because, of course, what did the people of King Benjamin do? It mentions their tents. They were they lined their tents up so they could hear King Benjamin's address. Yeah. So they were, you know, aiming their tents at the word of the Lord. Yeah. So let's, you know, so the takeaway here, folks, make your tent face the right. My tent, my apartment faces the Washington Monument. What does it mean? I don't know. You're a you're a federalist. I'm a federalist. That's or you or you will slowly become a federalist. But I over live time. in the Confederacy, Bill. You do. Yeah. The good old nation of Virginia. Um, so, yeah, and, and one of my favorite uh, things about the lesson is that it asks, you know, why they split up the way they did. And it says that when they got to this point and they realized that they couldn't both live in the same place, Abraham yeah. does this really magnanimous thing. It's like, Lot, you know, you can live wherever you want and I'll go, lo- go live somewhere else. And the lesson manual says, how can we follow Abraham's example when we have <laughs> conflicts with family members or others? And I was it's like, like uh... Yeah, so, honey, I think you should be like Abraham and go sleep on the couch tonight. Like, we just need to separate, or we need to buy a bigger house, or, you know, yeah. there's a lot of ways in which you or could no, misapply that principle. Yeah. No, 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 you take, the, you buy the nice car. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's like you're competing on the amazing race, and you're like, guys, guys, you can run to the map before us. It's okay. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I don't need to win. Um, so, you know, apply that one correctly and not uh, not incorrectly. Good luck. Uh, So then the next thing that happens is, you know, lots over there. And it turns out that in the well-watered area, there's a little more conflict, right? And As is often the case with simple geopolitics and economic resources. Where are the resources? Where's the water? We're going to get you. So um, there's a lot of battles and probably your, who who knows what your instructor will do if they know a lot about this stuff they might tell you. But uh, long story short, uh, Lot is captured by one of these (laughs) warring kings. I just want a full reenactment. If one of you is teaching this, (laughs) stage a battle in your class and have someone play Lot and actually capture him. And pull him outside. I just want somebody to do no, it. and Please then do and it. then get somebody to like dress up in the appropriate attire for all the different you know of Chertolom or like find find out what that guy would have been wearing. And you if know? you're good at magic, do the whole pillar of salt thing that we'll get mm-hmm. to. See if you can pull mm-hmm. off some kind of Phantom of the Opera move at the I end think, of it. Yeah, I think this may Boy, be though. the highest degree of difficulty in a Sunday school lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but the payoff will be amazing. It will be pretty awesome. <laughs> um, it will be better than the payoff lot God, of course, because he was kidnapped uh, during the war, and Abraham went and rescued him. And I was invited to take plunder, and he said, no way. I'm not going to take anything from an unrighteous king. Um, And so the the lesson asks, and and you'll get to discuss hopefully in class, you know, he refused to take anything from the king of Sodom because he didn't want it to taint his unrighteousness. Um, Jeff, what what do you think about that? Bill, are you telling me that I should not take my tax return from Barack Obama? Uh, depending on your view of Barack Obama's righteousness, uh, perhaps, okay. yeah, you should, you should send that back to him. Although now you have to ask, should he, if he takes it from you, does that make him 
more this, righteous? This is a vicious cycle. I, we'll just let Jesus judge. But the real takeaway I get from that is I appreciate Abraham's integrity. He does. In this, this case. It's a big moment. And he, I mean, Abraham was not usually one who was, was wanting. I mean, I think he was, he was pretty well established in his yeah. money, so he didn't need it. But at the same time, he did not take another chance to enrich himself, and he said, no, I'm not dealing with yeah. this iniquity. I'm not even going to touch it. I'm not going to mess with it. I'm not going to come anywhere near it. I'm tainted by it. Yeah, and I mean, it's also smart because, right, if you take somebody else's stuff— You've defeated them in battle, then you take your stuff. You're giving them even more reason to come fight you later, right? <laughs> That's true. Just so. stay away from That's a it. Good point. So, uh, but it is about integrity, and he won't take it. Uh, and we also should avoid, you know, taking the fruits of uh, immorality so that we are not tempted into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he frees frees Lot, but then he finds, uh, by contrast, he finds Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, and. We were talking about this. I, I'm not exactly sure like who Melchizedek was in relation to Abraham, but Melchizedek was a we know was a priest unto the uh, uh, unto the only true God, right? The same God that Abraham worshipped, which is the same one we worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Abraham knew this about Melchizedek, and so we don't really have like the story of how Melchizedek came to be, or if they knew each other, or how Abraham knew to recognize him as a servant of the Lord. But Abraham then went to to pay tithes to him. And so um, by contrast, right, Abraham's refusing to take money from iniquity, but he's willing to sacrifice his his possessions um, and offer them as, as a sacrifice to the Lord, which he's learned, you know, um, he's learned throughout his life making, making good sacrifices for the Lord. So we just need to compare his, uh, and the lesson invites us to compare his commitment to the Lord versus his commitment to his possessions um, yeah. and the things that really sank Sodom. Big time. And I love that, of course, this is the first mention or inference of tithing in all of the scripture. And, and Melchizedek himself is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament, once here and once in Psalm 110, uh, where he calls him, you know, a holy priest. And uh, I just I, I think tithing is a wonderful principle, and we can all learn a lot from it that Abraham, like you just said, was rather than take the riches from wicked people, instead he gave up what he had to the proper authority who could, you know, who represented the Lord appropriately in that case, which is terrific. Now, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, of course, they are warring. They're warring with many of these other city-states, many of which have kings with awesome names, by the way, like mm-hmm. Amraphel, Arioch, Chedor, Laomer, Title. What is this name? Title. That one's pretty good. But they, uh, they're all warring. Everyone's very wicked. So, of course, this is, this is just classic. This is Nephites, Lamanites, near the end of the Book of Mormon, you know, just pure wickedness all around. No one has the Lord's favor. But he rescues Lot, and the Lord is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, I, 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 there's this great exchange that we have right here. Um, when Abraham wants, Abraham seeks compassion, you can tell. You know, he seeks compassion in this sense. He doesn't want to have all the people destroyed. I think he feels like, look, I know they're terrible, but at the same time you're talking about wiping out city, cities, yeah. plural, worth of people. And so in this exchange, I don't have the exact numbers, maybe you do, Bill, but I think it starts off with 45, where basically the Lord says, okay, if you can find 45 righteous people, Mm -hmm. then I won't lay it to waste. And I don't remember if Abraham actually goes back and looks and comes back, or if they just kind of have almost like a bargaining session. I think think it's just a bargaining session. He's like, I've always imagined Abraham's thinking like, all right, 45 is unrealistic. Like he kind of realizes, yeah, well, okay, maybe if I... You know, because he knows he's got to go into the city and find that many righteous people if he wants to prevent their destruction. And 
sort of talks himself down, it seems like. Yeah, big time. I mean, because he talks, he goes from 50 righteous within the city, uh, 45, where we see a little bit, find 30 there. And the Lord keeps going down saying, fine, if you can find 20, it's fine. And uh, the last one they says, you know, peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. Now, Bill and I were talking about this before the show, trying to figure out the number of people in Lot's family, for example. Mm -hmm. And so presumably if Lot's family had 10 people in it, the Lord would stay true to his word and say, fine, they can stay in Sodom and I won't destroy it because there's 10 righteous people. But it was probably a number fewer or less than 10 and therefore they had to be taken away from Sodom and thus leaving the city regardless with fewer than 10 righteous people. And uh, we know what happened there is, of course, the Lord laid it to waste. But the Lord counseled them before he did this to leave and never look back. Right. And unfortunately, somebody didn't pay attention. Lot's <laughs> wife. Right. And now there's this great, um, there is an actual, I don't know what you'd call it. I guess it's the remaining, you know, pillar that is over there that the locals call Lot's oh, yeah. wife, but it's yeah, just sort of a rock formation that uh, that was in the same spot. But of course, she gets she gets really in trouble here for looking back. And of course, your instructor is almost certain to ask, you know, what are how can we look back? And like, what was the real what was the sin she committed? Like, what was it that, about looking back? Was it it probably was not just I turned my eyes to the wrong place. Maybe that was it. Yeah. But it's uh, that sort of longing that we all have even, and we do this, right? When we've been redeemed um, and we've like given up, you know, or, or have made improvement on something and then we go back because we look back on it longingly. You know, we look back on it like, oh, I remember some of the things that I thought were good about that and I still feel that way about them. Yeah. And that's how you know you're not really getting redeemed. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting takeaways you made me think of that is the fact that uh, sometimes even when we think about past lives, you know, like you were alluding to, past transgressions, whatever it may be, do we reflect upon those things with kind of, yeah, the sense of wonder or like, oh, the fun I had at one point in my life? Or do we genuinely regret them and have no desire to return to those? Even if we're not actively engaging those anymore at this time, you know, at this point in our life. And uh, the Institute Manual, which by the way, if you're studying the Old Testament, the Institute manuals are are extremely useful resources for you. You can read just read through them and learn all kinds of stuff, even if you're not reading the Old Testament, you know, passage for passage. And it talks about Lot's wife and the pillar of salt. Because one of the questions is that she actually become like was she literally turned into a pillar. A pillar of salt. Right. And also when it says, like you said, look back, did she just glance back and boom? Yeah. And it's easy to think of a of a vengeful, uh, not very pliable God of the Old Testament who would do that and not even right. bat an eyelash. But at the same time, so the Institute Manual suggests a lot of different things. It doesn't really come to a, a complete conclusion. But it does perhaps uh, imply that by looking back, it really meant that she actually maybe like ran back into the city and wanted to get some things because they were instructed not take anything, much like Lehi. You know, don't take your possessions, mm -hmm. don't take anything, just get out of the city. That she might have gone back just to pick things up. And she could have been, in this sense, they feel destroyed in that she went actually went back to the city while it was being destroyed mm -hmm. and died in that sense. Um, of course, the main takeaway is, like it says here at the end of the lesson, whatever happened to Lot's wife, it's clear that she perished. Yeah. So no matter what happens, she died because she didn't go well. She looked back. In it's one not way. like you know somebody showed up and gave her a salty treat or something. <laughs> right. This was this was the end. Whether she literally looked back or figuratively looked back, either way, mm -hmm. it was it was her her demise was the uh, the result. And the good news is we don't have to assume that she was guilty of anything really um, awful, and that. You know, uh, we usually associate, there's an interesting point 
uh, in the after notes in the lesson that talks about what the sins of Sodom were. Uh-huh. And we usually associate it with sort of serious sexual sin, both well, because that's g- the reputation given, and, and given the, yeah, given it's the a, name of it's it. It's a cognate for It's things. a cognate sure. for Well, and it's it's only, I think it's because we associate it that that's what the cognate is. Um, no, of course. Yeah. So, so in the... Uh, in the afternotes, it points out that it's not just uh, serious sexual sin like the, like that implied in the story of Lot and having the having to protect the two righteous men and his daughters and all okay. that. Um, in Ezekiel, they send you to Ezekiel sixteen nine, uh, forty nine through fifty. It says, "Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom: pride, fullness of bread. I don't know what that. I don't know what that means. Maybe overeating, but the abundance of idleness was in her." And in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Says That's the Lord speaking in Ezekiel. And um, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, like Lot's wife uh, could have been a, you know, a, a really a pretty good woman. But some of those fundamentals, uh, maybe some interest in possessions that, that yeah. really drew her back yeah. in, you know. So um, we can all be undone by even minor things like that, and certainly there, those that kind of selfishness goes along with serious sexual sin. But um, it didn't. We don't have to assume that she was into that as well. Yeah. And the hard thing, of course, the main po- point of this lesson is, you know, how can we live righteously even when we ourselves are surrounded? What if we were living in Sodom? And yet, how can we not succumb to any of those pressures and still live a good life? Like Lot was imperfect as well, but I think by and large, he lived a pretty, you know, he lived a pretty faithful life, even when yeah. he was surrounded by all this iniquity. Um, and that's the hardest thing to do. Uh, obviously, it is more difficult if we willfully allow ourselves to be surrounded, if we face our tents towards such things, as opposed to, you know, more begrudgingly accepting that those these are our surroundings, right. but we're not going to internalize them. Um, and that's the hard thing. I think it's, you know, it's something we all have to learn through this mortal experience and uh, and learn to set ourselves apart from it. I think one of the best ways to do that is at least try to make your home apart from the world. We mm-hmm. can't avoid what we face day in and day out, but we can where we can control our own environment, you know, do our best to do that and stand up for ourselves and have a Christ-centered home and place where the Spirit can be, a refuge. Absolutely. That's going to be it. Folks, go to all those places where we are, you know, Facebook, Twitter, email, thisweekinmormons.com, Stitcher, YouTube, everything, blah, blah, blah. Join our family. Happy to have you. Bill, thanks for being here. Jeff, thanks for having me. This has been Sunday School Bonanza, brought to you by This Week in Mormons, Lesson 8, Living Righteously in a Wicked World. Do not look back at Sodom, everyone. Press forward, forward to the plains of Judea.